Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Katherine Shen. It's becoming more and more dangerous for people walking and crossing streets in Connecticut. Today on Where We Live, we talk about some of the reasons why pedestrian deaths are at an all-time high and how the pandemic may have played a role in the rising statistics. Do you feel safe while you're walking along streets? Joining us now is Fran Mako. She's a spokeswoman for AAA Northeast and Josh Morgan, who's with Connecticut's Department of Transportation. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Good morning. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Fran, we're hearing that our roads are becoming more and more deadly. Why do you think this is happening? Well, it's a combination of reasons. Um, Initially, it was the pandemic. People were a lot more stressed Um, early on. Uh, When the pandemic started, there were less people on the roads, but for whatever reason, crashes, fatalities spiked during that time. Less people on the roads, but the people that were on the roads felt that they could drive faster. They could speed because there was no one to to stop them from slowing down. That could be one reason people could be more stressed. Um, Overall, personally, I think as a society, we've become such such a disrespectful, crass, vulgar society. We just don't take into consideration. We're not as empathetic as we used to be. And specific reasons why that's happening is just beyond me. But that's how society seems to be heading. So I've had similar conversations during the holidays when I was doing news pieces related to this topic. Uh, Josh, do we have data to back up that the roads are getting more dangerous? We do. Even though there were fewer cars, fewer people out in 2020 and 2021, we still had more uh, fatalities than 2018 or 2019. So what that tells us is the people who were out we're going too fast, we're driving impaired, we're driving aggressively, and that resulted in an increased number of crashes and unfortunately an increased number of fatalities. In 2022, that trend continued and uh, last year ended to be one of the deadliest years on Connecticut roadways in recent memory. That's certainly a trend we want to see reversed here in the new year. And Fran, are you seeing more aggressive and reckless driving and what does that look like for you? Definitely, there has been more aggressive driving on roadways. I mean, we all have our stories, um, personal stories. In fact, coming in here this morning, I had mentioned to one of my coworkers here that I was going to be on this um, interview, and we were going to talk about a variety of topics, including wrong-way crashes, and I didn't even finish the sentence, and he started telling me about his trip 
to work, his his commute to work this morning and how people were tailgating him and, and speeding and driving recklessly. It just seems to be the norm now. And driver behavior is just so difficult to manage. And so, Josh, when it comes to speeding, what does that look like now? Because when I think about speeding, I think about five, 10 miles over the speed limit. But it sounds like it's way beyond that now. We wish it was five or 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. We wish people were actually driving the speed limit. But what we're seeing at our speed counters, what we're seeing around the state, 30, 40 miles an hour over the speed limit. So people going 85, 95 miles an hour on our highways and interstates. And that's just so incredibly dangerous. It's easier to lose control of a vehicle. It makes, uh, if there's a crash or an incident, it makes it that much more severe, that much more deadly when those rates of speeds are, are that high. So yeah, people aren't just going a little bit over the speed limit, they're going a lot over the speed limit. Definitely, definitely. So Kathy on Twitter shared with us that anyone who says they haven't seen aggressive driving is probably doing it. And Brandon on Twitter also shared that using the HOV lane and divider as a four and fifth lane on Highway 91 is certainly a popular news pa- new pastime. And so when it when it comes to these behaviors, what are what are some other influences you feel like that's causing this? You mentioned the pandemic. I know we're going to come back to this probably throughout this conversation, but what are other factors you both think? Josh, want to start? Yeah, I mean, I Fran, Fran hit on it at the start of our conversation. I think, you know, people are uh, thin on patience. People are running late. People are juggling a lot in their personal lives. And, you know, what we tell people, it's better to arrive alive and a few minutes late uh, than to get yourself into a, a deadly crash. Uh, you get yourself hurt, hurting somebody or killing somebody else. You know, we hear stories of people passing on shoulders, weaving in and out of traffic, just doing things that are just so incredibly dangerous, being aggressive on the roadway. And I think there is a lot of thought and research going into how the pandemic has shaped our behaviors in terms of uh, how we act on the roads, uh, our stress levels, our tolerance, our patience, and then, of course, uh, the recklessness and the aggressiveness of driving, uh, speeding, and also driving impaired. All of those things, I think, are interconnected to what happened uh, at the start of the pandemic in 2020 and have continued into uh, 2023. Fran, can you respond to that? I think impairment is definitely a major reason, a major um, aspect in what's going on in society you know we all know that drinking and driving doesn't mix and we've all seen and we've all heard the the ads and it's the same thing for recreational cannabis now that it is legal in connecticut i mean the dot has um, tv campaigns going on right now and you see the overhead signs on highways reminding people but that's the million dollar question how do you prevent an impaired driver from getting behind the wheel of a car. And when he or she does, how do you prevent them from causing a crash? I mean, that is something that Mothers Against Drunk Driving have been wrestling with for years. And Personally, I think our best chance is education, but through education, it takes years for behavior changes. You mentioned education. I think uh, we've also talked, you've mentioned that there are three E's, engineering, enforcement, and education. Do you mind breaking that down for us since you just mentioned education? Well, 
engineering is certainly being done. And I'll leave that to Josh because the DOT has done, um, I think, a yeoman's job in re-engineering certain ramps in Connecticut, but I'll let him talk about that. Enforcement, um, it does exist. It does work. I mean, even there's been studies that have said that the presence, just the presence of a law enforcement officer on a highway or a roadway will have some effect on drivers. Um, but again, education needs to play a greater role. Um, I know young drivers or new drivers, I should say, do undergo an eight-hour safe driving class where a portion does cover impaired driving um, and alcohol and drugs, specifically pot. And these programs, they're available in every driving school. And kids need, new drivers need to go through this eight-hour class before they get a license. Um for older folks, people 60 years and older, I know AAA offers a four-hour driver improvement class. Uh, the incentive for them, it's a voluntary class for older drivers. The, the incentive is for them to get a discount on their insurance. And, um, you know, the, and, it, and drugs and alcohol are covered in part. But there's a, I always felt that there was a demographic that's missing, and that's who I call the middle-aged folks. The drivers, perhaps in their late 20s to late 50s, who absolutely go through no training, uh, you know, for or driver retain, training. And maybe we in Connecticut, or we as society, should focus on that particular segment. Josh, can you talk about the engineering angle to that? Absolutely. So, you know, we uh, at the Connecticut Department of Transportation are focused on our state roads, our state highways, but we know that crashes, fatalities can also happen on local roads. So at a you know statewide level, you know, we're putting up signage, we're upgrading uh, traffic signals, we're trying to give pedestrians more time to cross the road, upgrading those pedestrian crossing signals to have uh, flashing beacons to make people more visible. Uh, and we also have something called a community connectivity grant program, where we've given out um, millions of dollars in grant funds to our towns, to our cities, to help them build sidewalks, help them build crosswalks, help them upgrade their traffic signals and their pedestrian crossing signals. You know, all of these things that we're, we're trying to make people more visible, trying to implement programs which will cue a driver to, to slow down uh, things called road diets, which are uh, shrinking the travel lanes, trying to make a shoulder a little bit wider, raised crosswalks to make pedestrians more visible and slow drivers down. And, you know, ultimately we're going to be engineering. We have projects lined up all over the state, but just to come back to the person behind the wheel bears responsibility as well. We need people to understand that when they're getting behind the wheel of a motor vehicle, that they're surrounded by thousands of pounds of steel and metal. They have airbags and seatbelts and safety features and uh, people who are riding bikes, people who are walking, uh, don't have those safety features. So we need the drivers to really be the ones to, you know, make sure they're staying alert, make sure they're paying attention, slowing down, and certainly always driving sober. 
We got a comment from Joyce from New Haven who said, I moved to Connecticut in 2021 from the Bay Area and am shocked at the driving here. Running red lights constantly. I don't roll all the green light anymore. The driving here is abominable and we we need more red light cameras. The speeding is just unimaginable. I feel you, Joyce. I actually moved here from California a couple years ago, and I have actually been feeling the same way. And Fran, adding another issue to the list, um, in Connecticut, we are also seeing a big increase in wrong-way driving. Why do you think this is happening now? It's definitely impairment. Um, People get behind the wheel. Their judgment, their perception is affected. They tend to make mistakes. Um, that is one segment, primarily the segment that is the cause of wrong way drivers. Um, there's been a study done by AAA way back in 2021, which seems so long ago now. And it had mentioned that more than half of wrong way drivers were over the legal limit. Um, they also mentioned that Older drivers, particularly those 80 and above, are also at greatest risk at being a wrong way driver in a fatal crash because of cognitive impairment. Um, But a lot of times we don't hear, there, there probably is a lot more wrong way situations that we don't hear about because most people who realize they are going up and on ramp or the opposite, correct themselves. They self-correct. They'll make a U-turn. They'll realize, oh, I'm going the wrong way. And they'll quickly get off a highway or a roadway before anything bad happens. Josh, are you seeing the same thing in terms of a big increase in wrong way driving in Connecticut? Uh, Unfortunately, yes. I mean, the numbers that we ended at in 2022 were equal to the previous three years combined. So 13 wrong way crashes that resulted in 23 fatalities. Those numbers just jump off the page when we're looking at trend lines. Um, it's certainly a direction that we don't want to see continue. Fran is right. And, you know, our data in Connecticut is actually more alarming than what Fran had mentioned. You know, our data is showing that more than 80% of wrong way drivers are found to be impaired. So again, we're going to have lights on our ramps. We're going to have pavement markers in the ground. We're going to have reflective tape on the guide rails. As many visual cues as possible to stop someone from going on to the highway in the wrong direction. But the bottom line is that drivers need to be sober. We need to make sure that people who are out there on the road are not driving impaired because they're putting themselves and everyone else on the road at risk. And Connecticut is not only, you know, the only state where this is happening. Nationwide, there's been an increase in wrong way drivers. Um, We pulled some statistics. Um, The latest that the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, these are the folks that track fatalities, crashes um, like that on highways. Um, Most recent information is from 2020. And between 2019 and 2020, nationally, we have seen an increase in wrong way crashes. In 2019, there were 388 fatalities of such crashes. In 2020, there were 412. Now, as for 2021 and 22, that information is still 
not available unless you go from state to state and make that determination. But the trend, you know, I don't want to be flip, but we say internally we're going the wrong way when it comes to wrong way crashes. Right. And it's certainly alarming to hear that the numbers are actually increasing. And I just want to also share uh, Doris from Southbury, who left us a comment that she's a big walker, walk wherever she can. It's good for her, the car and the environment. Connecticut needs more sidewalks. Most of the time I have to walk on the street and dodge cars. Most people are courteous and veer out of way. Uh, Otherwise, I have to dodge. We can't rely on drivers. We need sidewalks. So sounds like adding another thing to your to do list, Josh. Yeah, um, agreed. You know, our projects that we're doing, uh, you know, we look at the feasibility of installing sidewalks. Um, Again, the Community Connectivity Grant Program is a great resource for municipalities to try to make those connections. There are some streets and neighborhoods where the sidewalk just suddenly stops and then picks up a block or two later. So uh, there's some, you know, state programs, state grants available to help with that. Um, And just to come back to, to wrong way, because, you know, the numbers, when you look at the overall fatalities in 2022 in Connecticut, you know, there was 380 uh, traffic-related fatalities, uh, pedestrians, drivers, passengers. Um, wrongway crashes are so deadly. They are so horrific. They are so violent. And, you know, we want to, the public to understand that this isn't uh, a fender bender, that these crashes are at high rates of speed, that they are head-on collisions, and they're um, often very deadly and very serious. So we actually have a advertising and public service campaign that's going to be starting in, in a couple of weeks called uh, One Wrong Move, Know the Signs, which is really to educate the public to pay attention, to look at the signs that are out there, to make sure they're driving sober. And these images are, are going to be graphic. They are going to show uh, what a collision, what a wrong way collision looks like. Um, a scared straight tactic, if you will. We need the public to understand the risks that they're putting themselves and everyone else on the road if they're getting behind the wheel impaired. So that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Catherine Shen. You've been hearing from Fran Mako, who is a spokeswoman for AAA Northeast, and Josh Morgan. He's with Connecticut's Department of Transportation. They will both be staying with us. Coming up next, we'll be talking with Bria Lloyd. She's an investigative reporter who's been covering the issue with Connecticut Public's Accountability Project. Hope you'll stay with us, too, and join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. 
I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shin. We've been talking about a big increase of wrong-way crashes and reckless driving behaviors in the state. Joining us now to help us dig a little deeper is Bria Lloyd, who is an investigative reporter with Connecticut Public's Accountability Project. She's also been looking into the efforts that are being made to combat the issue. Thanks so much for joining us, Bria. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Richard Redding. He's the Senior Program Officer for the Transportation Research Board at the National Academies of Science. Thanks, Richard, for being here as well. You can also join the conversation at 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Bria, I want to start with you. Can you share with us about this investigation that you did about distractive driving in our state and what did you find? Yeah, of course. So we started looking into this after the tragic passing of Kate Williams, who was killed in a wrong way crash in Cromwell. And what we found is that last year was the deadliest year for people being killed in in a wrong way crash in the state in the last five years. 23 people died from these crashes, which is a huge increase from the years prior. And that's why we decided to kind of take, um, take a look and figure out why this was happening. And through your investigations, have you learned about what kind of efforts or enforcements that have been made to combat this issue? Yeah, it seems like the state has done a a good job. Um, Last year, they announced an investment of $20 million into wrong-way driving countermeasures. So that includes changing signs, adding those Um, those very big signs that say you're going in the wrong way, adding flashing lights, adding pavement markings and different um, arrow signals so people can try to avoid going in the wrong direction. And from from your reports, do do we know why we're seeing an uptick of people driving under the influence? So I don't know if we know why, but I do know that you know, as mentioned early in the show, that 80% of people in these crashes are impaired by alcohol or or another substance. And something that I found really interesting in my reporting when I was speaking with Frederick Dombrowski, who is a mental health expert who specializes in substance use at the University of Bridgeport, he was saying that why these effort, while these efforts are very helpful, someone who is drunk or impaired by another substance might not you know, they could they might not even see these, you know, they're they're driving, they're not in their right headspace, they can get distracted. So if these lights are, you know, are are flashing, and it's saying you're going the wrong way, they might not even notice that. So while these efforts are are a really big deal, and they're important, you know, it might not stop all of these crashes from happening. And talk about the cultural change that needs to happen. Is that something that you learned from your investigation? Yes. I also learned from Frederick um, Dombrowski as well is he was saying how he feels that 
if people could kind of work together, you know, if bars and if restaurants could, if they see someone drunk, help them, you know, get a ride. Or if your friend is going out and you know that they'll be drinking or doing any sort of drug, make sure that they have a plan and that they can get home safely. He also he also mentioned something really interesting to me. He was saying that when there was a really big national campaign to get people to, you know, to to get people when they get in the car, make sure that they that they buckle up. And when this, um, I guess we could call it um, like click it or ticket or all those campaigns really helped people, you know, change their their behavior. And they started like wearing seatbelts. And now oftentimes when someone is is driving and they're even drunk, they might be drunk, which is terrible, but they are in fact wearing um, their their seatbelt. And so he was saying if we could push for a really big national campaign, which I know, you know, we have, we have MAD and and these organizations who have really pushed for that, but more national campaigns to help, you know, prevent people from drunk driving, that could be helpful. So I want to bring Richard into the conversation. Um, Is wrong way driving something we're seeing on a national scale? Well, well, sadly, it's something we've always seen on a national scale. Uh, The the troubling trend is that the numbers are increasing and increasing at a much faster pace than overall traffic deaths. So uh, a study that was recently completed uh, through the National Academies uh, examined this very specific issue of wrong-way driving with a focus on what can be done to reduce the problem. But part of the study also examined the numbers and the data to see what the recent trends were. And, you know, while the numbers had been relatively flat for many years, uh, starting around 2010 uh, through 2020, uh, we see indications of about a 67% increase in the number of fatal wrong-way driving crashes. Uh, during that same 10 or 11-year time period, it was about a 33% increase in overall fatal crashes. So. When you look at those two data points, wrong way fatal crashes increased at twice the rate of overall fatal crashes. So something's happening in that space that's different than the general trends. And can you tell us a little bit more about this upcoming report? I know it's still under review and then you just share some information with us, but what are other points of it you feel people should know right now? Sure, okay, well, you know, the basis of, of the report uh, which is funded by the, the public, and so this is a you know public service. Ultimately, we want to make roads safer uh, through research. Research helps us to understand what the evidence points to, uh, where practitioners can be guided uh, to do uh, the most good with the funds that they have available. Obviously, we can't do everything. We'd like to do more. <clears throat> so using funds wisely is very important. You know, knowing that wrong-way driving on freeways and other divided highways results in more than 400 traffic deaths each year in the U.S., uh, this study was funded really for the purpose of developing a handbook for practitioners, and those are people in state DOTs like Connecticut DOT, uh, for helping them implement best practices and uh, things that we believe there's evidence to support. Uh, That includes both traditional and advanced safety countermeasures. Uh, it has been said on this call, and I agree, alcohol is a very significant contributing factor. Uh, our 
uh, indications based on the National National Transportation Safety Board study show that about 60% of drivers who are going the wrong way in fatal crashes uh, have indications of alcohol involvement. By comparison, the victims or the drivers who were not going the wrong way, 6% of those people had alcohol. So people who are driving the wrong way are 10 times more likely to be uh, drinking uh, than than the people they hit. So, you know, we can't wave a magic wand and, and get rid of alcohol. It's been a problem for as long as they've been motor vehicles. But some of the technology, some of the approaches that engineers can use, including not, not just traffic signs and, 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 and signals and sensors and, and, and pavement markings, but even the way we design the geometry, many of the wrong way driving crashes begin at entrance ramps or, or interchanges where drivers are either because they're impaired or they're not paying attention, uh, inadvertently enter the wrong way. So part of the uh, magic sauce here or the secret sauce is to use geometry, geometric design, uh, to reduce the chance of drivers making a wrong decision. You mentioned Paris, and it sounds like this is not just a Connecticut problem. Is this an international problem that you're seeing from from the studies? Yes. uh, We did, as part of the study, uh, scan international literature, and anywhere in the world there are wrong-way driving crashes, and there are studies from around the world that are incorporated into this report that will look at uh, noteworthy practices and and evidence that shows uh, approaches that are effective in reducing the problem. I wish we could say eliminating the problem. Uh, the best we can do uh, in the transportation engineering world is reduce problems. It's, it's very difficult to eliminate them, particularly problems like this that are uh, associated with human behavior and, and, and driver errors. Now, of course, you know, looking further down the road uh, beyond what we can do as, as traffic engineers, uh, automotive technology and advances in in uh, self-driving cars, which are still quite far down the road, you know, will ultimately be a significant boost in reducing alcohol-impaired driving as well as wrong-way driving. I want to take a call here from Ed in Middletown. You're on the air. What do you have to share with us, Ed? Uh, good morning. I'm uh, I'm from Middletown, as you said. I'm actually walking now and as a pedestrian, often encounter people running red lights and stop signs. Uh, this is not about wrong-way driving specifically, although uh, Q. Williams was a friend of mine, so I'm, it's, it's very much in my uh, thinking right now. But you haven't really talked about enforcement and the, the role enforcement plays in preventing all of these issues. Uh, you know, we recently passed a police accountability law, which I think it's been stated by the police that it hamstrings them in their efforts. So are they more reluctant to enforce? And why isn't the state using passive enforcement methods like uh, lights, at, uh, red lights, or speeding lights like they do in other states. Thank you. This question might be good for Josh Morgan from the State Department of Transportation. Is that something you can respond to right now? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so in Connecticut, uh, there would need to be legislation change to enact uh, these passive enforcement measures, uh, red light cameras or speed cameras. Uh, that's something that 
uh, came out of our Vision Zero Council as a policy recommendation to expand the use of uh, automated enforcement. We actually have, because of legislation passed last year, uh, we're going to be piloting uh, work zone speed cameras, automated enforcement speed cameras in our work zones to protect our workers, to protect our contractors. That's a pilot program that's gonna be happening in 2023 uh, where there will be cameras set up and if someone is uh, speeding through a work zone that they will receive uh, an infraction in the mail. Um, so again, that's something for the legislature to consider it as a policy recommendation out of our Vision Zero Council to expand the use of automated enforcement. So related to things that um, we can do to help either enforcement or reduce these incidences, Julie on Facebook is asking, what about surface-mounted traffic spikes, maybe in addition to the lights? I can't imagine flashing lights are all that effective with wasted drivers. That's something that we have been talking about in these conversations. Uh, Josh or Fran, can you respond to that? Uh, I'd be happy to to jump in here. Uh, it's it. actually something that we hear a lot at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. Anytime a wrong way crash is in the news, uh, we receive emails and phone calls to our customer service center uh, suggesting uh, surface mounted uh, tire puncture devices, spike strips, things that maybe people see in the movies or are familiar with at uh, parking garages or bank parking lots. The bottom line is that these are not approved to use on our highways. There's research out there that shows they're actually ineffective at stopping a vehicle from entering the highway in the wrong direction uh, because they're really meant for low traffic volume, low speed areas. And the thing that Fran had mentioned earlier this morning is that sometimes people will be able to self-correct that they will uh, notice immediately that they had uh, turned onto the highway in the wrong direction and uh, stop and turn themselves around. Um, disabling a vehicle, uh, puncturing their tires before they get on the highway is just not a safe uh, traffic enforcement method. Uh, not to mention that given Connecticut's climate, uh, dirt, snow, ice, uh, there's a high probability that those uh, spike strips, that those tire puncture devices actually won't retract when someone's heading in the right direction. Uh, so that's just going to be creating a recipe for disaster. Uh, and again, the best thing that people can do to stop these crashes from happening is making sure that they're driving sober. I'm going to take a call from Lynn from Unionville. Lynn, you're on the line. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I was wondering maybe the gentleman from the DOT can uh, address this question. Well, while I agree that, you know, impairment is probably contributing a lot to the wrong way drivers, has anyone taken a look at uh, whether the use of GPS is contributing to this? You know, often it just tells you, you know, take a right in 300 feet. And a lot of times these entrance and exits are literally right next to each other and people are perhaps not paying attention and they just literally take a right in 300 feet. And instead of going into the entrance, they're going into the exit ramp. Um, so I didn't know if anybody had taken a look at that. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Josh, you want to take that? Yeah, I mean, this goes back to the engineering uh, component of our work. So some things that we're doing that people may not realize, but I hope they take a look now is, you know, when a light turns green, you know, that solid green globe, you know, we're replacing those around the state with directional arrows to try to replace that confusion. Uh, so instead of being a solid green light, we're going to have an arrow that's pointing straight or pointing right, really to be another visual cue for drivers that say, hey, you shouldn't be turning here, you should need to keep going in this direction. You know, 
the, the point is well taken. Uh, a lot of our ramps are on the same side of the road. The on-ramp and the off-ramp are next to each other. That's one of the high-risk factors that we analyzed when we looked at over 700 ramps around the state to really determine where we can put in some of these additional mitigation measures. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely, completely understand and you know why we don't want to have tire puncture devices on the end of our ramps and why we need people to make sure that they're you know paying attention when they're when they're driving. I think we have time for one more quick question. Mikhail from New London is asking, why not reduce the speed limits in the state? Josh, can you take that? <laughs> um, you know, that's something that would require some some policy changes. You know, what we're seeing on our roads is, you know, if the speed limit is posted at uh, 55 or 65, people are going to be driving 85 or 95 miles an hour. You know, we're hopeful with our work zone uh, speed camera enforcement that people will get the message that speeding is dangerous. Speeding is putting people at risk. And when they get uh, infraction in the mail, that they'll, uh, you know, think twice before they're speeding on our highways. From if I may add. Yeah, go for it. Um, with um all this engineering and all this enforcement taking place in the state, there is an organization and uh, a council that was set up uh, last year called the Vision Zero Council. It's an interagency work group that has been developing or coming up with ideas for statewide policy to eliminate all these transportation-related fatalities. And each and in this council, they have various subcommittees uh, that focus on enforcement, that focus on engineering, and of course, focus on education, which I'm a big fan of. Um, they've come up with many recommendations that I am sure this year the General Assembly is going to focus on um, and determine what aspects um, should be implemented. And you know, one of the suggestions that they had come in, come up with is driver retraining, um, offense-specific um, driver retraining, and perhaps wrong-way drivers should be required to go through driver retraining, that is, if they haven't killed themselves, um, or require the driving population, general driving population, to undergo some type of offense-specific retraining or simple simply general retraining, um, you know, general driver retraining to renew their license, uh, you know, every five years, every eight years, whatever the, um, the, the, the increments are. Um, and again, you know, education can change behavior, but unfortunately it takes a long time and working with enforcement, working with engineering. These three elements have to work together in order to change driver behavior. And thanks so much for that. Um, from Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Catherine Shen. You've been hearing from Bria Lloyd. She's an investigative reporter with an accountability project at Connecticut Public and Richard Redding. He is a senior program officer for the Transportation Research Board at the National Academies of Science. Thank you both for spending time with us today. Thank you. Coming up, we'll continue the conversation with Fran Mako, who is a spokeswoman for AAA Northeast, and Josh Morgan with Connecticut's Department of Transportation. They will both help us better understand what distractive driving looks like today and what we can do to prevent it. You can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. We're jumping right back in with Fran Mako, who is a spokeswoman for AAA Northeast, and Josh Morgan with Connecticut's Department of Transportation, who will be talking about driving under the influence and distractive driving. But before that, I'm going to take a quick call from Steve in Tallinn. Steve, you're on there. What do you have to share with us? Uh, hi, thanks for taking the call. Uh, this isn't really so much about uh, the wrong way driving, but just a big pet peeve of mine and something I've seen just get worse and worse is, I guess you could call it erratic driving, uh, people swerving in and out. And this is mainly you know, on the highway. I go from Tallinn to South Windsor and back every day and specifically passing on the right. It just seems like everybody has disregarded that the left lane's the passing lane. Um, and they just choose to shoot around on the right. And I just see it as being just really, really dangerous. I see it all the time. And I feel like, uh, you know, instead of sitting there just passively looking for speeders, if the state police were just kind of strolling down the highway like everybody else and just watch those kind of drivers come swerve around and just, just nail them with big fines, I guess. Uh, thanks, Steve, for the call. Uh, Josh, did you want to respond to that? It's something that we we see. I, I see it personally on my travels. We hear about it at the DOT. People who are passing on the right are using a shoulder or an HOV lane to uh, turn it into a, a travel lane. The number of uh, crashes that happen in work zones, the number of vehicles and people that are getting hit and unfortunately killed um, after they've broken down on the side of the road uh, are increasing. It's just really dangerous on our roadways. And we need to get that message out there that you know people need to uh, pay attention, slow down and make sure that they uh, are keeping themselves and other people safe. So before we dive into distractive or er erratic driving, can you tell us about Vision Zero? Yeah, Fran had touched on it uh, previously. You know, our Vision Zero Council came out of an act of the state legislature in 2021. The committee was chaired by our deputy commissioner and incoming commissioner, Garrett Ugolito. And they focused on the three E's, which Fran had mentioned, education, engineering, enforcement. And we also focused on a fourth E, equity. And a series of policy recommendations were sent to the legislature this year for them to consider about how to make our roadways safer. You know, when we think of equity, we want to make sure that we're considering all road users. So we want to make sure that our transportation infrastructure is safe for the most vulnerable road users, the people on bikes, the pedestrians, the people who are out uh, outside of a motor vehicle. There's data out there that shows that Black and Hispanic populations and even people who are pregnant have a lower rate of seatbelt use or proper seatbelt use. We know that people with lower incomes are less likely to have a car seat installed properly and have their children uh, safe in the car. And another recommendation is to have our Department of Public Health look at our traffic data and really parse through it and see our uh, communities of color, are there certain uh, races and demographics and subgroups that are being overrepresented? Are they in crashes more? Are they being uh, subject to injury and fatality more than other groups? And that's just such an important part when we're looking at uh, how we make sure that our communities and our residents stay safe. So throughout the conversation this morning, I feel like we the list of distractions is only growing. But one thing that keeps coming back is driving under the influence of alcohol, which we all know is dangerous. And now cannabis is legal in our state. What can be done to prevent driving under the influence and maybe help people be more aware of that? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll start here and then Fran, if you want to jump in. So sure. uh, yeah, DOT, our Highway Safety Office has been prepared for the start of recreational cannabis sales. Actually, for the last year and a half, we've seen this coming and we've been out on the air uh, having billboards, having public service announcements out there, reminding people that driving high is a DUI, same as uh, consuming alcohol, same as consuming prescription drugs, cannabis can impact someone's ability to operate a motor vehicle, can slow their reaction time. So we have ads up. We have uh, little placards at uh, bars and restaurants reminding people uh, not to drive stone, not to drive high, make sure that they're using a safe ride home. Uh, same thing goes with uh, consuming alcohol. Just because something is legal today does not make it legal to use behind the wheel, does not make it legal to drive impaired. So, you know, this is something that we're going to continue educating the public on uh, as these recreational sales started here in 2023. Fran? And if I may add, um, again, I'm a big fan of education. Um, what AAA has been doing over the last five years is going into high schools. We have a program, um, an hour-long program called Shifting Years, the blunt truth about marijuana. And right now we are focusing on young drivers, um, talking to them about the issues involving marijuana and getting behind the, 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 the wheel and how marijuana is no better or no worse than alcohol. Whatever impairs your perception or judgment is not good if you are going to get behind the wheel. Um, what we and the state too is uh, kind of thinking outside the box. This is no longer a traffic safety issue. It is a public health issue. And we're tackling uh, this issue by looking at it through the lens of a health issue. We're also preparing to roll out a similar program, but it is aimed at the, um, at the business community. If businesses want to educate their own employees about, you know, driving and using marijuana, we have a similar program that we're getting ready to roll out. And general public can go on our website. It's AAA.com slash shifting gears they can check that out or you can go on tripway.com slash corporate convos c-o-n-v-o-s and it will give you a little bit better idea of what i'm talking about and have the ability to book speakers to come into the schools or business to talk about the dangers of driving and using alcohol or marijuana so Fran, we have about two minutes left, but I do want to jump in real quick to ask, we're also seeing more pedestrian deaths across the, across the state. Um, do you have an idea where this is happening and what can we do to prevent this from continuing? Well, pedestrian fatalities, as we all know, have been on the increase. Um, I think it's a statewide epidemic, usually in the big cities. Um, where there are a lot more bicyclists, where there's a lot more pedestrians. You know, New Haven is a big bicycling town, so is Danbury. Um, 
there are certain areas, certain roadways, which are very, very dangerous. But but in recent years, we've seen just even on the rural, the back roads, you know, the back roads of Westport or Weston, um, people walking um, and people driving too quickly, too recklessly. Um, I don't think anyone is safe anymore. And you have to take steps to protect yourself as a pedestrian. Now walk against traffic, not with traffic. Um, and again, a lot of the programs we do in AAA focuses on um, you know, what people must do in order to protect themselves. Thank you so much for that. That was Fran Mako, who is a spokeswoman for AAA Northeast, and Josh Morgan with Connecticut's Department of Transportation. Thank you both so much for spending time with us here today and helping us better understand the situation. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Kat. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show was produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And as usual, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>